What are you up to? I'm Corey Schlosser-Hall, and I am impatiently curious about people who find inspiration and turn it into something real. This is On The Verge, a podcast about everyday people who move from inspiration to incarnation, and I'm really glad you're here. What do you get when you cross a Tar Heel girl from North Carolina with a boy from Big Hat, Texas? An adventure of faith with Denise and Matt McCoy. While pursuing a vocation in business startup and real estate development, their family and small group said to Matt, we think you need to become a pastor. After an exhaustive research project, Matt and Denise and family landed in Vancouver, British Columbia at Regent College. McCoys eventually settled in Bellingham, Washington, following an internship at First Presbyterian in Bellingham, where today they are two years into a creative new church expression called Spring Church Bellingham. Hey, if you ever wondered what Jane Fonda has to do with faith and embracing new forms of church, this On The Verge conversation is just for you. This is really fun. I love, I get to talk to the McCoys. I, I can't believe you're doing like, like podcasts are a lot of work, man. It is. Like I, I'm impressed you're doing this. Well, here's, I got two other people who are helping. Yeah. So. so that's good. That's awesome. I want to start by asking you guys if you would reflect a little bit on what was your spiritual upbringing like? Where, like, where did you grow up? What did you learn about things of the spirit as a kid and a young person? I am from North Carolina originally. I was born and raised in a small town with about 1,300 people. And I loved it because it was a small community. So everyone felt like a person in your extended family. My parents were Christians. We grew up going to church. I had a number of people that were investing in my life spiritually all growing up. So I I always have a memory of knowing that God loved me and he was a part of my life. I mean, I made a decision to follow him when I was 13, but for sure, I have a very strong spiritual background. I grew up in Texas and my parents became a Christian when I was a kid. I mean, we all went to church because we're from the South and that's what you did, but uh, a series of events brought my parents to a faith in Jesus. And I got to see this transformation take place within our own home. And they were very active in our lives growing up. For for me, uh, a, a close walk with the Spirit was, was part of the, the way I was raised as well. And also just enjoyed having my, particularly my father was so influential with me in, in that he he had this sort of uh, whimsical abandon about wanting to follow Jesus wherever Jesus might lead him, and that had a profound influence on me both as a as a teenager and even today. Whimsical abandon. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the I would say that's the way to describe it. Absolutely, he he just has a beautiful faith that way, and he's actually one of the most generous people that I know. Oh yeah. So. You grow up, you found each other, which is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you've had a lot of adventures together. Mm -hmm. But at some point along the way, both of you had to make a mutual decision of some sort that Matt might consider being a pastor type. And that meant, Denise, you are also going to be 
a pastor type. (laughs) 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 Right. So how did, can you share a little bit about how you came to that recognition and choice? Jonathan Edwards talks about how there's internal callings. There's things that come, you know, bubble up from within you. And then there's external callings and you know, things that you respond to in, in your environment or in the world around you and your community. And for, for us, um, pastoral ministry very much was an external calling. We have always led small groups. We've been very active in small groups throughout our whole marriage and, and wherever we've lived. We believe very deeply in the importance of small groups of believers gathering together in their homes, reading the scriptures together, walking through life together. But it was our our community, particularly through our 20s, that started saying, hey, we want you guys to be our pastor. You think y'all would be a great pastor. It was our friends. It was it was my family that was saying, we think, um, we think, we think pastoral ministry is something that you should consider. And so when we found ourselves in a, uh, a transition in our own lives, that's absolutely what motivated us to, to look at going to Regent College of Vancouver and, and getting an MDiv. What was that like for you, Denise? You know, Corey, God is, is faithful. I, I am by nature a homebody. That is my calling has always been to be a wife and a mom and a friend. And so for me to be open to what God had for that, it, he was very kind and gentle. And so over a period of two years, he prepared me that this was coming. And so there was a, a point where Matt and I were out hiking with the kids and he was just wrestling. Should we do this? Should we not? This is so much work. I don't know what to do. And, and I just looked at him and I knew in that moment, I said, you know, you're asking if it's worth us moving our entire family and finding a new grocery store and a new pediatrician and new friends and a new house and a new community so that you can do this. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's worth it. Let, let's do it. And I just kind of kept going and, and then I turned around and he was like 50 feet behind me still standing there. I was I, dead in my tracks. He was. And that was because he didn't think it was going to be that simple. And it, it, it just was, that was exactly the moment where God was like, yeah, it's time to go. As you can imagine, moving with an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a three-year-old, it was full of all kinds of adventures that way, but um, it was one of the most fruitful periods of our marriage and our life as a family of five. It was great. You know, Corey, as is often the case, the, the person up front with the microphone gets way too much credit, and certainly around here, that's the case as well. And so even though Denise is not a co-pastor in the has her name on the um, anything on the anything. Um, <laughs> neither is she a pastor's wife in the mid-century American kind of history of that. I would say that for us, um, I I spend a lot of energy sailing into cultural headwinds and helping explore as an apostle what does it what does it look like to participate with the what the kingdom of God is already doing in the neighborhoods. And Denise is routinely the voice of the spirit that is the voice of reason, that is the voice of love and compassion, that is the voice of we can go slower. And so there's a, there's a really beautiful way that the spirit speaks to Denise. And the, the gift for me is to get to walk through life with her and to be drawn closer to the spirit because of her. Now, I, I was 
blessed to get to talk with you a few times before you actually started down the road of this new thing called that is now called Spring Church. But I remember you all being pretty, I don't know if a resistant is the right word to starting a new church expression. Oh, yeah. What was that discernment process like? And how in the world did you ever grow open to doing that? Uh, I would probably say only by the grace of God. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. who, who really wants to create a church? I mean, on some level, you, you're like, you look around and there's one on that corner, one on that corner, and one on that corner. And you, the last thing you want to do is create something. And that's probably what I said to Matt forever was, can't we join where someone is already at work? And, um, and the more we looked and the more we tried to plug into certain places, it just it didn't seem like the vision that God was giving to Matt specifically was something someone was already doing. And so that was where we really felt like, okay, we need to gather the people that believe in the vision that we we have come to see, and we need to start taking steps in that direction. I'm by, by trade, I'm a tent maker and an entrepreneur, and I've started a number of different companies. And we live in a cultural moment where so much of the church is fascinated by the white male extroverted entrepreneur style church leadership and I find so much of that just noxious and gross. And the, the machismo and that sort of subset is really off-putting to me, especially as a Texan. I'm used to machismo, and it's like, this is, I have no interest in this. Um, Preach it. Preach it, man. <laughs> combined with, there's a, there's a real animosity towards uh, the traditional church and existing church structures within a lot of, not all, but within a lot of uh, the church planting movements that I was exposed to. And we love the church dearly, uh, and it, our love for the church is what has carried us to this path and has carried us through this path. And so, you know, Corey, you were really instrumental for us through a lot of those years in reminding us that uh, there's this place for us here, and there's a, there's a space for us to to continue to walk and explore, and it's okay if we don't have it figured out, and it's okay if it involves a lot of years of wandering around and there was a very much a freedom of that. And it, it led me to, to two spaces that at the time initially felt kind of ridiculous, but it ended up being what the Spirit was using. And one was to start volunteering regularly at the local homeless uh, mission. And nice. I knew I needed to learn how to, how to preach and lead worship services. And man, homeless folks give great feedback. They, they, they tell you right away where they're at and what's not going on. There's, there's no doubt. Whereas, I don't know if you've noticed, but in, in a traditional main, mainline church, people sit kind of stoically and afterwards they tell you you did a great job and that's all you get. And so yeah. whether you did great or not, you'll, you'll never know. But that is not the case in a homeless shelter. What was it like there? I, I had a, somebody hurl an F-bomb at me within seven minutes of the first sermon I preached. Uh, but it was a compliment. <laughs> So, you know, okay. But it, it, it gave me a space where it was, it was safe for me to fail. It was safe for me to experiment. It was safe for me to find my voice. And it was, mm -hmm. it was a great place for me to discover what do I have to receive from people who are experiencing homelessness? What do I have to learn from them? How is the spirit already at work and at play in their lives? And how do I enter into that rather than showing up with my own agenda or, or my own message, whatever I thought? And at the same time as that was happening, a position opened up at a local private Christian school. 
and they were looking for a chaplain. And Denise comes to me and says, hey, they're looking for a chaplain. I think you should apply. And I said, I think that's a terrible idea. And she said, no, I think that's a great idea. And I said, no, that's a terrible idea. She talked me into it. And so we went and applied at this particular school. They have 200 kids from kindergarten to 12th grade. And at that school, there is 10 different religions. And that's counting all Orthodox, Catholic, and Protestant Christians as one religion. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's nine religions outside of the entire diversity of the Christian faith. And same kind of deal. They give great feedback. There was such a, a, a joy to getting to be able to be, to be playful and to be light and fun and real and to learn how to take what the Spirit was doing in my life and to connect that to what the Spirit was doing in their lives was a remarkable gift and so grateful for those four years. And that was the that was the ground that we were planted in that allowed us to start asking the question, okay, how do we cultivate a church where where this sort of thing feels normal and natural? And that's how it happened. But what in the world does all that significant reflection have to do with wearing purple hair in chapel? <laughs> uh, that's a great memory, Corey. Yeah. So um, because we had all these different religions at that school, I tried to invite a religious leader from every religion represented in the student body once a year. And so we had a handful of kids that were part of the Jewish faith. And so we had the local Jewish rabbi come by and the uh, Feast of Purim is where they read the book of Esther. And it's a big, fun celebration for them. And uh, like a lot of Jewish celebrations, but particularly the Feast of Purim, it's uh, they tried to kill us. We're still here. Let's go eat. And (laughs) (laughs) it's awesome. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) And so the the Jewish rabbi, uh, Rabbi Samuels, when we were talking about it ahead of time, he said he usually wears a costume when uh, he talks about that. And I'm like, awesome. Let's do it. I found a hair, a purple hair wig, and I looked like a like a big Muppet. And we pulled out the scroll of Esther and had a great time sharing with each other about what the story of Esther means and why that matters to a bunch of kids in the Pacific Northwest today. Can you give us a quick verbal sketch of what Spring Church is today? Because I want to then step back uh, through a couple of significant moments of the last three years. So... Who is Spring Church today? We're all online right now because, you know, the whole coronavirus going on. We are still pretty new in our trajectory. We've only been meeting as a, in worship services for about a little over two years. And so we meet on the second and fourth Sundays of every month. And so twice a month right now. And our worship services are very active uh, and very interactive. Our mission is uncommon friendship and common discipleship. So the way we live out this mission of uncommon friendship and common discipleship through these active engagement services is uh, everybody leads a different part of the service. I do very little as the pastor. Other people are leading all the components because uh, people that come, they want to be actively engaged. And the sermon is, instead of it being me preaching for 30 minutes, the preaching is for about five minutes, and then there's a question, and then there's a small group discussion time. And then people come back and they share. And then there's another small preaching bit and then a question and then another small group discussion time. 
And so it's a way that we can cultivate the sort of feedback that tends not to exist if I just talk the whole time, where those questions are very much designed for us to find out, are, are people getting it? Mm-hmm. Are we understanding this? Are we figuring out how do we apply this to our lives? How do we enter into this story that we're a part of? And I, I love getting to see people, everything from people who are currently experiencing homelessness people with significant mental health challenges, people who are teenagers, people who are in their last season of life, worshiping together and discussions together, praying together. We've had everything from little kids leading different parts of the service. The The prayer of confession one time was, was led by a, a guy who's not a Christian, which was its own kind of peculiar theological question. That's awesome. But he wanted to do it, and I thought, oh, fantastic. Denise, I'm curious, as you look back to the description that you all just shared about how you became open to doing something like this, what have you experienced along the way that you would call a blessing? And what have you experienced along the way that you would call, dang, I didn't want to have that happen? (laughs) I would probably say starting a church, dang, I wouldn't want that to happen. (laughs) You want to start from the beginning? Um, When you... Think about all the the non-glamorous parts of starting a church, especially when you don't have a place of worship and it's hauling chairs and hauling tables and bringing in snacks and tablecloths and all the the components of communion and that kind of thing. That That's the least glamorous part. I would say probably the blessing for Matt and I both has been throughout our time at Regent, as well as transitioning to Bellingham as a family, our kids weren't necessarily connecting very well in any kind of a Christian setting, whether it was a, a traditional youth group or church or that kind of stuff, they they were they had their own faith, but they just weren't connecting. So it's been pretty spectacular for Matt and I to have a place where they feel like they can. As an expression of worship for our church, we play games in the beginning together. So it, it connects and bonds everyone in the very beginning. And the kids get so excited to be able to play the game together in the beginning. Our son Jackson rings the bell for our call to worship and our blessing and sending. And I love their expressions of faith and it finding a place where they can share and not only just receive, but they can participate. I mean, other than that, seeing other people find places to connect where they weren't necessarily connecting. And I love that you can see things, you can read things, you can talk about things. So you're getting it on multiple levels for all different types of learning styles. And I love that it can, comes in so many different forms for so many different people. That's cool. And Matt, picking up on Denise's comment there, what does Jane Fonda have to teach a social media curmudgeon? about communicating. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of the big surprises for me is that storytellers of our generation are the graphic artists. And so... The, the very first experimental worship service we put together it was outdoors. We ate a meal together. We had ashtrays because there was people who were experiencing homelessness who were smoking. It didn't, it, we did the story of, of Jesus saying that the sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And so we had actual goats as a part of that and, you know, recreated the whole thing. And the, the preacher was a 15-year-old uh, female 
And it was amazing. I'd never seen anything quite like it. And afterwards, I asked the the youth, you know, how was it? And so many of them were like, yeah, I just didn't like it. I could just, I thought it was going to be organic. And I thought it was just going to, you know, just flow more. And and I I thought, what, what on earth are you talking about? And so I, I <laughs> Like we had actual animals in it. Like, what, are you kidding me? Like, there's people smoking. And when I asked, okay, so what, you know, what was it? Well, it was that I printed out the order of worship and I used uh, black and white typeface. So, you know, I have bold and then I have like the timestamps next to it for how long each one of them is going to be. And I used Roman numerals for the first one and the second one, the third one, because that's like, as a grown up, what I do. And was it Times New Roman font? It, it, I'm sure it, it might have been, <laughs> I might have gotten crazy and gone with Helvetica, right? Oh. <laughs> That's all I got. And, and they hated the order of worship. The order of worship derailed everything for them because they huh. looked at that and the, the, it was just black and white and bold typeface. And I thought, okay, this is a much deeper seated thing than I ever would have thought. So then along that same time, Denise was telling me that we needed to get on social media. My daughter, Emma, was telling me we needed to get on social media. And I thought they were both wrong. And we had started working with Jessie Bloss. She's a 25-year-old graphic artist. She was saying we needed to get on social media. I was disagreeing with all of them. And then I was traveling uh, for work, and this is all, of course, pre-COVID. I'm, I'm sitting in my hotel room, and I'm watching TV. I'm not on any social media. I don't watch videos. I don't watch TV. I don't do any of that. I read books. I read magazines. I'm an old curmudgeon when it comes to that kind of stuff. <laughs> but I'm in the hotel room. I'm watching this TV program, and it's talking about Jane Fonda and how the reason why she became so popular was not necessarily because she had this great workout video program, though she did, but she had a friend who was an expert in the latest technology, which at that time was the VCR. And so they were able to distribute her content over the VCR platform, and it allowed for the first time all of these women to stay at home and exercise at home on their own timetable, and and nobody had ever been able to do that before. Nice. And I thought you know what? It's not about the content. It's about the format. It's about the storytelling. And following on the heels of that was the story of Epiphany and the star. And as I'm, as I'm encountering that story, I'm realizing that God used a star to speak to astrologers. Like God used a foreign religion to speak to astrologers. And that's when I thought, Mm. even though I still have uh, not repented any of my worldview of social media and am not optimistic that that's ever going to change. I did realize if, if God can use a foreign religion to talk to astrologers, then, then we can use social media to, to talk to people here. And what it ended up becoming is, is that our storytelling has become a part of our discipleship. Hmm. Like it's not about getting out a message and it's not about increasing engagement and it's not about generating likes uh, we've gotten hyper-specific in our audience so that we're able to use it as an introduction to discipleship. It does not replace reading the Bible. It doesn't replace praying. It doesn't replace the sacraments. I mean, none of those things. But it is an introduction to what discipleship looks like. Hmm. And so before a worship service on Sunday, we send out a, a blog on Fridays. And, and I write the blog and it is a prep for what we're going to go through. The blog is a reading for people to get a little bit more theological depth into what we're going to be exploring together. 
because Jesse takes all that and, and puts her graphic artistry to it, it's a really compelling thing to read. It's a really beautiful thing to read. It's, it's, it's easy to read. It's so much more clear and it conveys the message in much, much greater depth. But then we shoot a short video, uh, about a one to two minute video of me uh, explaining what we're going to be talking about on Sunday. But while the audience for the blog is a well-educated Christian, the audience for the video is a non-Christian. And mm. so what we're putting out on our social media pages is teaching our church members how to talk about their faith to people that aren't Christian. How do you talk about your faith in the public square? And so by us modeling it and by us doing it, it's a way that we're discipling our people on how to talk about your faith in everyday language where it can matter for people. to have people along the way who are helping you see things and encourage you and pick you up when you feel like this is difficult. So can you share with us who are some of those people for you in this journey? Yeah, I would I would say all along the way, it's been family and friends for sure. In the beginning, back, way back when we were in Texas and our small group was saying, hey, we'd like for you to explore this. We wish you were our pastor. <laughs> Once we even landed in Bellingham and um, God provided a group of friends to sit with us and, and discern in those places. And they have walked it very faithfully with us and affirmed those things in us and challenged us when we step out of line. It's not like it's all, you know, coming up roses all the time or whatever, but it's, is that the right phrase? I don't know. That's like a dead thing, but anyway, it's not all rosy when you're in community, <laughs> they can call you out on your stuff, right? Which is what you need. You need someone who's going to be honest and faithful at the same time. Oh, absolutely. If you see a turtle on a fence post, there's only one thing you know for certain, and that's he had help. <laughs> <laughs> is that a Texas thing? No. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> no. Oh. And that's, that's absolutely what this feels like right now. It was our small group here that said, hey, you, none of us knows where this going is going, but you need to keep walking. You know, Corey, it was your encouragement to say, you know, keep going. Just hold on to the spirit and keep listening to the voice of Jesus and keep going. Hiring Jesse Bloss, I would have never thought that our first hire would be someone who's got a background in graphic artists. Now, in fairness, she's got a lot of ministry experience. She has a lot of pastoral care experience. She has a lot of leadership experience. So she's got a, a, a diverse set of talents, which is necessary for a, a, a staff team of two. But we also started partnering with Bruce Larson, who is the dean of the College of Education up at Western Washington University. He and his wife, Jermaine, got involved with our, our church pretty early on and be able to use the best pedagogical tools available to help us in our journey of how do we pursue discipleship? How do we enter into the biblical story? Because with uncommon friendship, you, you don't get to preach a sermon where you can assume a common worldview. You never get to say, you know, we all agree that. And then you can't say anything after that. Right. And we have uh, we have very uh, devout de Democrats. We have very devout Republicans. Like it's mm -hmm. it's a really diverse crowd. And so we've we've been blessed to be able to grow quite a bit in what are those pedagogical tools. So that way we know we're entering the story together.
Matt, you've started several businesses in your life. What have you learned about the kind of support that's needed to make this kind of thing possible? That's a great question, Corey. Yeah, I would say without a doubt, the most supportive I've ever felt with any entity I've ever started has been planting a church within the Northwest Coast Presbytery of the PCUSA. And uh, Corey, I think a lot of it has to do with you and your leadership and the way that you have cultivated a place for people who are leaning into what's on the verge and leaning into what's next and to give a space to allow uncommon friendship and common discipleship to bubble up out of our community and what God was doing in our midst speaks a lot to the space that this presbytery has given us. And uh, I could spend probably 10 hours a week just attending support things for me. I wouldn't do that, but, but I'm amazed at how, (laughs) how many, (laughs) how many different pastors gatherings there are, how many different support kind of things there are out there all the different tools and resources that are out there. It's really pretty incredible. And I think what it's allowed us to do is to pursue this in a, in an unhurried way. The the grants that we've gotten from the presbytery has allowed us to fund this in a way to where we're, we're not under a crisis of funding and crisis of timing, which allows us to engage with the crisis of imagination. So many of the things that we're wrestling with, it's, it's not trying to create something new. It's just entering into this crisis of imagination of we never thought this was possible. We never thought we could we'd do this. But part of why we joined the Presbyterian Church is because the polity is, is so clear and we don't have to spend any time on polity because it's there and we can just plug and play and get going with it. And that people take time and that people are worth it. And so our... Our discernment team met for an entire year, once a month, just praying and listening together. And our discernment team of 12, it had three people that were experiencing homelessness, two teenagers, and a buddy of mine who wasn't a Christian. So half of the team was people who weren't connected to church Mm -hmm. in a meaningful sort of way. And there was a, a real joy to be able to take the time to be able to do that. And so we're we're grateful that even though it's required a lot of patience for us to, to, to be able to walk this slowly. We're grateful that we had the time and the space to be able to do that. That's great. I would agree with what Matt said. I, I love the fact that we've really been able to focus on relationships and people and the rest of it has been super supported. So that way the people matter. That's awesome. What are you on the verge of now? You mean besides uh, dinner prep and laundry? <laughs> That's awesome. (laughs) Oh, fun. What we're on the verge of now, one of the things that we did not um, have any idea how hard it was going to be was was trying to cultivate friendships with people who are in recovery and homelessness and are coming out of that. We thought that it would be a lot easier uh, for us to start cultivating friendships together. And that has not been the case. And so we've dedicated quite a bit of time and energy uh, and prayer and patience towards how do we cultivate a church where these relationships that don't normally happen are natural? I feel like we're getting closer. I would have thought we'd have figured this out a couple of years ago, 
I think I would have preferred Jesus do this through a miracle. Instead of hard work. Instead of hard work. Over, <laughs> and over lunch, please. And over lunch. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And through a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Now the pandemic's really opened up a lot of space for us. The pandemics is the pandemics are a terrible time for strategic planning, but they're a great time for to run an experiment. They're a great time to go try something you've always wanted to do. And that's what we've been doing. Well, I am very grateful for both of you, Denise and Matt. Thanks for spending time with us, sharing a bit of your story of this remarkable incarnation. Thanks for inviting us. Thank you. It's been fun. to everyone who makes On the Verge possible. In addition to our adventuresome guests, I want to thank Jean Chamont, our musician and producer. Find out more about Jean at jeanchamont.com. That's J-E-A-N-C-H-A-U-M-O-N-T dot com. Janine Taylor is our editor, and the Northwest Coast Presbytery has generously sponsored On the Verge. Please subscribe to On The Verge if you haven't already at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Corey Schlosser-Hall, and I hope you will always be On The Verge. On The Verge.